Hello and welcome to the Football Digest on the eve of this, the new the Premier League season. It's the show that brings together the best football journalists in the country. I'm here to discuss the biggest league in the world and the biggest storyline. I'm Peter Staunton alongside Anita Abiyomi. And today we're joined by Andy Don, who's Chief Sports Writer at the Merit. And the Manchester Evening News, Manchester United Don Samuel Lookhurst. Today we're going to be discussing the upcoming Premier League season, the transfer window, who we think will be among the top four and which teams are destined for the drop. But since we're joined by Samuel, let's start with Manchester United and that ongoing civil war between Eric Ten Hag and their star player, Cristiano Ronaldo. Samuel, can you give us a quick sum up into what is going on over there at Old Trafford? How have we reached the situation? Civil war already between Ten Hag, the new manager who's only been there five minutes, and Cristiano Ronaldo. It's a consequence of United failing to qualify for the Champions League, which is the competition Ronaldo's been synonymous with for nearly two decades. He's he's not played in anything other but than the Champions League uh, since he left Sporting Lisbon for United. I think the last time he played in in the, the Europa League, it was obviously called the UEFA Cup, and he was a 17 year old, and that was nearly 20 years ago. So the prospect of playing in the Europa League is is anathema to him. And because United finished outside the top four last season, the players have been hit with a 25% salary reduction. So he's his earnings have um, fallen steeply. I'm not too sure many people will be uh, um, feeling too sorry for him about that. It's almost like you've got to play the world's smallest violin to, to that hardship. But that's another factor. And also United's slow market movement um, has not really gone down well with Ronaldo and the, the, the whole way it's been planned has been very strategic in the, the original story about him wanting to leave came out two days before he was due uh, or expected to be back for pre-season training. Then to really no one's surprise, he didn't turn up on that Monday uh, due to a family issue. And that's, that's been the reason cited behind him not being on the pre-season tour. But of course, while we were out in Thailand and Australia, Ronaldo was still very topical because there were stories emerging about whether Chelsea might be in for him. Of course, there was uh, the instance where Todd Burley, the new Chelsea owner did meet with George Mendes, I think in, in late June, but Chelsea have, have refused. Sorry, they've they've completely kiboshed any prospect of signing Ronaldo. Bayern Munich seem like a possible exit route because of Le- Robert Lewandowski. Um, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Atletico Madrid fans have made their feelings very clear about the prospect of signing Ronaldo, uh, amid the possibility that they could, you know, get, get rid of Antoine Griezmann. But just throughout this whole process, you're not, uh, Ronaldo's people and Ronaldo himself are trying to make themselves as, as relevant as possible. Uh, I thought that it was quite amusing the timing of Ronaldo's post when United were 2-0 up against Aston Villa in, in Perth and these three 20-something forwards were playing quite well again and then he comes out with a pose where he's in his United shorts and he's working in the gym, just reminding everyone that he's, he's still the main man or in, in his words last week, the king... And I think with that word that he used about him, you know, calling dubbing himself the king in this Instagram uh, comment uh, on on an account that I believe worships him pretty much night and day, um, it's it's another power play. 
and it's a power play uh, what he did in, in leaving early um, before the, before the end of the Vallecano game on Sunday he wasn't the only player to do that and you know footballers being footballers I think the days where fans felt that the players had a real attachment to the club are, are long over I think there are very few exceptions uh, in this day and age and with Ronaldo I think most people would have been surprised had he stayed until the end um to, uh, to, to to watch United's pretty soporific draw with Vallecano. But in fairness to Ten Hag, um, in, in appointing him, they've they've got authority back with a United manager. And it was pretty telling during their media day on Tuesday where all the rights holders went into Carrington. It, it wasn't an English rights holder that was asking the question on, on Ronaldo, clearly because I think they were told not to. But when you've got a Dutch guy there and none of the media personnel can actually speak Dutch, and the only Dutch speaker there is the manager. Uh, fair dues to the, the the rights holders. You know they they put Ten Hag on the spot over Ronaldo leaving early, and he gave quite a, a concise answer, which is his style. Having you know spent a bit of time with him uh, on the preseason tour, he's very much to the point. And of course, he said it was unacceptable. And of course, that's understandably going to create headlines. It was the main back page, and it, rightly so. It had to be the back page splash in most of the newspapers this morning. And whatever happens with Ronaldo, whether he stays, whether he goes, uh, however long he remains at United, I think it's safe to safe to assume that he will not loom over the manager as much as he did last season. Do you know what, Sam? Like you've given such a detailed explanation as to what's been going on with Man United and Cristiano Ronaldo. And obviously, Andy, feel free to chime in here as well. But with Cristiano Ronaldo, it's such a difficult situation. And I'm really curious. So I'm a I'm a mega football fan. I do love Cristiano Ronaldo. The same way I love Lionel Messi. And it's just a question of why do you think clubs are just not interested in signing him so obviously Chelsea have had the interest but apparently Thomas Tuchel has you know then shut it down like you said Athletic Madrid has had that interest fans don't really want him what is the reasoning behind that what do you think it is well he's 38 um, uh, on his next birthday so I think I think that's a very basic reason we saw last season he's got 18 Premier League goals but you know, didn't inspire Manchester United to actually win anything. So in a way, his 18 Premier League goals is a stat that will be usual. How can they do without his goals? Well, they didn't win anything. So really, that's pretty much irrelevant. He came up, I think, with only three assists. And clearly, in the modern way of playing, you know, most teams play a high press. It's, it's quite obvious that he can only be used as an impact player, which, to be fair, I think is what will happen with him going forward with the Portuguese national team. And I think he'll accept that, but he won't accept that at club level. And in terms of people not being interested, I'm sure they are interested for a variety of reasons, but you know, he's not going to transform your side. And with him, you get the commercial interest, but you get the baggage. You know, you can't sign a player like Ronaldo and then tell him he's going to be an impact player, which is what he would have to be at United. What I'm interested in, um, and, and th- I think I think Samuel's got a really good point about Ten Hag having um an air of authority about him, and by saying that it's unacceptable, then you think, well, what's he going to do about it? Does he need to do anything? You know, does he actually, can he just turn around and say, listen, well, as long as Ronaldo is a contracted player, I can do what I want with him. And I can leave him on the bench, I can leave him out of the team, I can start him, I can do what I want, and I'm not unaffected by the circus around him. He might do that. I personally would prefer him to actually draw a line on the whole thing and, and, and say to Richard Arnold, the chief executive officer, listen, he's not going to be anywhere near my first team. I don't want him involved in the first team. I don't want him at Old Trafford. I don't want him at the train ground. 
Now, you guys, you, Jorge Mendez, sort the rest out. You know, do something. Get him to buy his contract, you know, give him away, do anything. I would like Ten Hag to do that because I, I do think there's an element at United, such as being their mediocrity recently, there's an element that this is a, a bit of a ground zero element. You know, they, they're starting afresh. And if Ten Hag's, you know, for want of a better word, project is to be bought into, it's got to be bought into fully. And he's clearly not going to be part of that project. So I, if I was a United fan, I would just like to see a line drawn under this with Ten Hag basically saying, listen, he's not involved no matter what happens. What happens if, as we expect, Ronaldo um, um, is on the bench against Brighton on Sunday and then comes on and then scores and we're going to have the whole rigmarole again. Now, he's, yeah. he's either part of Ten Hag's plans or he's not, as far as I'm concerned. You know, as I say, there is a school of thought and, and I can see where they're coming from that, why wouldn't you have Ronaldo on the bench to come on? Why wouldn't you play Ronaldo in certain games where you know you're going to have the majority of possession? Play him just in those games. So, And then why wouldn't you just have him on the bench, play against tired teams in the last 20 minutes? Um, and listen, he showed last season, he is still a superb finisher. But I just yeah. think a clean break is best. You know, we, we know he wants out. He's never denied that. There's, there's been no statement from him at all to say, well, listen, you know, if I can't go, I'm going to be fully behind Ten Hag. And I know, I know, again, what Samuel says about only being a friendly, but I still think walking away like that early is unacceptable. And it reflects well on those other players who did it with him, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Samuel, I wanted to ask you, obviously, you've been on tour. You've seen this team close up, Ten Hag's methodology. And, you know, early on, I think it was in the Villa game, they were, they were you know, garnering some praise for how they were setting up, how they were playing. Do you think it's a case that Ronaldo won't have a place in this kind of team? I'm talking just from a football perspective, aside from all the distractions he's causing about these once-away messages that he's sending and calling himself the king of Instagram and all that. Just on a purely football level, will he suit what you've seen so far from Ten Hag in the football he's playing? He he would because he's the most dependable goal scorer in that squad still. Um, a few people have got short memories out there or they've just been these knee-jerk reactions to how United have played in pre-season and that Marshall has scored three goals in five five games and, and played quite well. But this is a player who, as far as the competitive stuff goes, he has scored eight goals for United in the last two seasons. He's been at the club for seven seasons. He's had two good seasons in that time. In January, the United manager claimed that he refused to be selected in the squad. Um, in the words of one well-placed source at United a couple of months ago, he's he's got a lot to prove. And fortunately, he's had a good pre-season. But there's a theme with Martial that he's at his best when he has no competition. In his first season, United, I think they were trying to sign Thomas Muller or Robert Lewandowski, almost pie-in-the-sky stuff under Louis van Gaal. They ended up with Martial. Uh, Wayne Rooney was waning and he had a very good first season uh, in 2019-20 they sold Romelu Lukaku they didn't sign a replacement Marshall reclaimed the number nine he had a, a an, again a, a good season underrated season but when competition has presented itself whether it's been Ibrahimovic Sanchez Cavani or Ronaldo and in the case of Cavani he was really brought in to, to keep Marshall on his toes but the end, he tramped all over his toes because he was a better striker than him and he's more proven. And that's the problem you have with Marshall. He had no competition on tour, so he had a very good tour. And either side of him, Rashford and Sancho have, have done pretty well. Sancho, in particular, was, was United's best player on tour. But there's no depth 
in United's attack whatsoever. Beyond those three, if you're taking Ronaldo out of the equation, you've got Elanga, who was really operating above his brief last season and hasn't scored since February. Garnacho is a very exciting young player, but he only turned 18 recently. He's going to have to be eased in. He was excitable at times on on the ball on Sunday, um, but but careless with it. And that's part of the learning process. They, they lack proven options in attack. And when Rangnick came in in December, um, he, he's a coach who had this cultish following that was quite mystifying, really, for someone who had managed, I think, 81 games in the decade prior to his appointment yeah. at United and who'd only ever won the German Cup. And people were talking about the Ralph Rangnick way of playing as if it was up there with total football or what Sachi did with with AC Milan or Guardiola with Barcelona. And it turns out that Ronaldo had no point, had, had no problem um, fitting into what Rangnick wanted because he was salvaging games. He was winning games through his goal scoring. Roy Keane said it best last season. He said the hardest thing to do in football is score goals. And Ronaldo at the age of 37 still does that. So while he is still at United, he has to be regarded as an asset. And as far as Ten Hag's pressing game is concerned, yes, United are trying to be a bit more aggressive, but they're not they're not like Liverpool. And I don't, I think there's an acceptance that they can't be like Liverpool because they don't have the personnel. It's more a case of what, what time, you know, the timing of how they press rather than doing it relentlessly. So Ronaldo showed last season, as, as far as work ethic is concerned, he's probably still head and shoulders above most at United, even though there's a lot of baggage that comes with having him in the squad. But then again, he's earned that because he's been the game's greatest ever goal scorer. Um, Andy, coming to you, like Sam said, you know, the attack is still a little bit thin, especially if you take out Cristiano Ronaldo. But the question here is kind of, have United done enough this transfer? We've seen the Frankie de Jong saga. We've seen the saga of Cristiano Ronaldo. What more could they have done this summer transfer window? And what gaps do they still need to fill going forward? There's still a few more weeks left. Well, listen, listen. The, 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 with the Ronaldo situation, they need bolstering up front, but it's the centre midfield. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. you, you know, it's reinforcement to midfield. Listen, Christian Eriksen's come along. I, I think, I think he'll be a fantastic asset. I really do. I think that's an underrated signing. I mean, you know, people are are very quick to sort of suggest that that you know um, he's on the final stretch of his career. He's far from it. Far from it. I think he'll be a very good signing, but. They need reinforcements. In I mean, I mean, they need Frankie de Jong. I mean, and there's a reason they're pursuing him. It's because Ten Hag clearly loves him as a player. And that is also, they're keeping on this pursuit. They keep this pursuit up because clearly there's encouragements. They think they're going to get him. I know it's a long, drawn-out process. It will be used as yet another a stick to beat Manchester United's recruitment departments with. Um, but I do think they believe they'll get him. and And I think that will be... An extremely important signing. That is where you know United are. They can't go into this season, which it looks like they're going to go in. I think with McTominay and Fred as the two sort of you know main sort of planks of their midfield, I just don't see that producing the results that they need. So I think central midfield. I think Martinez is a good signing. I like him, um, and they need one more in midfield at least and one more up front. You know, because, I, again, I, I, I see the idea that Ronaldo will be an asset, but this isn't going to resolve itself, this Ronaldo issue, and, and he won't be just happy to be a bit part player. So that needs resolving. They need extra players up front. Again, I, t- I totally agree with the point. That, you know, listen, we all read 
most people read too much into preseason. Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford have got an awful lot to prove. An awful lot. You know, let's not let's not forget that Rashford's form fell off a cliff. I mean, that's what the thing about Manchester United is that you can you can point the finger of blame at recruitment, at, at the coaches, wherever you want, but there is still no legislation, no accounting for players, just literally their form just just disintegrating. And I include in that the likes of Harry Maguire. I include Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And I definitely include Marcus Rashford. So their players have got to take responsibility and step up. But in answer to the question, easy, yes, I mean, they, they, they haven't done enough yet. There is still time in the transfer window. And the fact that they haven't done enough, though, is only highlighted and maybe exaggerated by the fact that clearly City got their business done early. Clearly, um, Liverpool got theirs sorted out, you know, absolutely straight, straight oh, off. Yeah. And other clubs have done the same. So so that's why, yet again, it's highlighted. But yeah, extra midfield, extra front. Uh, Andy, I want to stick with you for, for a moment because you didn't mention City and their um, the business that they got done. Uh, obviously, uh, the game with the King Power last week didn't go their way. So I guess there's two parts to this question. Did you see enough of the King Power to suggest that we might see an upset maybe in this title race because I think a lot of people might have had City down as, as far away favourites and then maybe comment a little bit on the business that they've done um, I'm well, talking about uh, Haaland for example uh, Calvin Phillips and yeah. so forth I'd like, I'd like your opinion on their incomings and their outcomes well I mean first of all let's just quickly go back to the King power I, I, again I, I wouldn't I wouldn't read it too much into a Community Shield game what I would say is that I think it showed that those two teams you know, will be very, very closely matched. They were very closely matched last season. They were very closely matched the season before the season before, if you see what I mean, the mm-hmm. the lockdown season City, you know, were um um were comfortably better. But they they so so they are a closely matched two teams. So uh, maybe we'll come on to that later when we talk about Liverpool. So I really do see it being a very, very uh, as close as it was last season and, and as you know last season came down to that final Sunday. Um, City's business is interesting. You, you know, I mean, we've had the debates in, in the media and, and, and punters have the debate, fans, you know, and in a way, last Sunday's game will sort of crystallise that debate is that does Erling Haaland, for all his undoubted talent and his undoubted um, capability in front of goal, does he actually fit into City's style? You know, I mean, I mean, does he, you know, he's not... Like a Jesus, or he's, he's not like a Raheem Sterling. We know that, you know. So, does he fit into City style? What I would say is that on the face of it and on the evidence of last Sunday, perhaps not. But can Pep is Pep Guardiola one of the world's best coaches, if not the world's best coach, who can make him, him fit into City style and who can make City effective with him? Yes, he can. Yes, he can, without a doubt. Calvin Phillips, um, I'm not as big a fan as, of Calvin Phillips as maybe some are. But again, that type of player, you know, if Fernandino goes, they don't obviously earmark Phillips, they can they can either play. It's very rare that him and Rodri will play together. But these are players, the likes of Phillips now, who, who will accept probably going in for 25 Premier League games in the season. You know, Grealish is gonna have to accept that. Most of most most players at City do that. So he will be a useful asset. I think they'll miss Raheem Sterling. I I was a little surprised they actually let him go. I actually thought that they, even though he had a year left of his contract, they might say to him, listen, well, you know, we're not bothered about getting 40 on the We'll keep him for the year. 
but instead they've let him go. And I think that's probably a reflection of how the esteem they hold him in. They, they've said, listen, if you want to go, you can go. But I think they'll miss him. I think he's a game changer. I think he's always been a game changer for Manchester City. And if you want, you can look at that last game of the season. You know, it was Sterling who came on and changed that game. You know, he, he provided the brilliant assist for the first goal that the City got back against Villa. So I think he'll be a big miss. So do I think City have improved from last season? No, I don't. I don't think Haaland and Phillips coming in and Jesus Zinchenko going out. I don't think particularly, the, and Sterling, of course, I don't think particularly they've improved. I do think Liverpool have improved. And that's why I think it will be really, really close. City might just edge it, but they've got a, a mighty battle on their hand. Um, so, 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 Peter, in other words, you'll see more of the same from City, but I don't think you'll see... I mean, not that they can get much better, by the way, because they barely lose a Premier League match over a few seasons. But um, I don't think they'll be much better than last season. Samuel, I'd like to bring you back in here uh, just for a second, because one of the things that I've noticed with this Guardiola team, I mean, Grealish was obviously expensive, but when it comes to making signings, they've got very few misses as opposed to, to hits. Mm -hmm. But when I look at over the sort of the same time period, Man United have probably spent, you know, just as much money what do you put it down to that at clubs like City and, and Liverpool have had a, a good success rate as well, all the way back to Alisson and Fabinho and Salah and players like that. What is it about spending this money at Man United that sometimes players disappear into a black hole and, and they don't really kick on the way that they do with the other sides, uh, like Guardiola's teams and club teams? It's it's a good question, and I don't think we've got long enough to uh, to, to talk about it at, at, at comprehensive length. But trying to be succinct about it, it's interesting that United this summer have come full circle again um, with the transfer market. In that, the way they are operating is exactly the same way they operated under Sir Alex Ferguson. In that you've got a manager who has his wish list of players, he gives it to a chief executive, or in this case now a football director, and he says, can you get them, please? And there are people at United who would have happily walked away from De Jong a long, long time ago. But because Ten Hag really wants him, they're that they're backing him and it's understandable. It's it's good that you want that, that a manager gets that backing. But one of the best examples of a brilliant piece of business in recent years uh, is Mohamed Salah, who was a player that Jurgen Klopp was not completely sold on. And it was Michael Edwards, the sporting director, who pushed for him. United in John Murter, the football director, who's an amiable guy. He's worked at the club for nearly nine years now. He's... Um, you know, worked in the academies team. He he recruited the women's team uh, four years ago. But of course, when you're recruiting for the men's team, it is a completely different kettle of fish. And I just don't think he's quite nasty. Is maybe not the right word, but he's not hard enough yet. He's still getting his feet under the table in that role, and he's been in the football director role for for eighteen months now. He's clearly not got the force of personality to say to Ten Hag. There are too many red flags with trying to get Frankie de Jong in, whether it's just dealing with Barcelona, who are a basket case of a club, uh, the economics of that. It's clear that the player does not actually deep down want to join Manchester United either, which is another red flag. Yet they've gone on and on and on. And here we are 12 weeks later, and they are still just about persisting, even though Chelsea, I know those links have been, you know, they, they were written about maybe a month or so ago, but they seem a lot more concrete now. So 
ultimately, where United have chopped and changed managers quite a lot in the last nine years, there's no consistent pattern to what they do. Three years ago, we were given this massive spiel about the cultural reset, about how they preferred players who were aged between 23 and 28, and, and specifically they preferred targeting British players. Now, there's been absolutely no evidence whatsoever this summer so far that they are in for any English players this summer. There are players uh, who they admire, of course, Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham. They're absolutely unattainable this year. They, In fairness, they were looking to do a deal for Calvin Phillips, but then Leeds survived and then Manchester City's interest emerged. And as soon as City came in, that was that was game over there. So they're shifting from recruitment strategy every two or three years. And it's pretty clear just from covering the club and speaking to people at the club that what they drafted up as part of their recruitment reboot three years ago has been ripped up. I I see next to no evidence of them um, operating by that playbook anymore. Okay, maybe in terms of the age range of signing players between the ages of 23 and 28, but that's not not gospel. Um, Under a year after they came up with that, that profile of player, they signed Edinson Cavani on deadline day, and I think he was 33 or 34 at the time. Um, Even more (laughs) earlier than that, they signed Odi Nigalo, who was 31 and had been playing in China for quite some time. So there is still a chaotic nature about the way they go about their business. And in fairness, this summer, they are restricted by the profile of player they can target because they're not a Champions League uh, club this season. They have had their worst season possibly since they got relegated in 1974, speaking to some of the old-timer United supporters, that they they felt a lot more of an attachment with that relegated side than the team that were, were part of the complete mess of last season. So that's how seismic and bad last season was with all those humiliating defeats and losing 9-0 on aggregate to Liverpool. Uh, I mean, the 5-0 defeat at Old Trafford, there have only been two 5-0 results in the history of United-Liverpool games. So United, as big a club as they are, are a really hard sell uh, to players this summer, which is why in the case of Frankie de Jong, he doesn't want to go there. And to be honest, you cannot blame him. But clearly, the club are emboldened by Ten Hag's working relationship with him. But if they do somehow, you know, get De Jong extradited to Manchester with what four weeks to go, I can't think of a player who would be a signing who would be under more pressure arriving at Manchester United than him, purely because everybody knows he does not want to be there. And if they do somehow sign him, the weight will have been so inordinate that the expectation will be huge. And it's clear that. Ten Hag sees him as the fulcrum, the potential fulcrum of this side. Uh, so as I said, there are so many red flags already. And I think that if they did somehow get him in now, he would probably be under more pressure than, than Pogba was six years ago. And of course, he signed for a world record fee. Speaking of pressure, Sam, that was well, that was actually well put because I feel like if Sprangy de Young does come to Manchester United, the pressure is going to be over the roof. It's going to be insane. And speaking of pressure, there is a guy who I think is probably under some pressure as well. And that is Darwin Nunez, Andy. And coming to mm. you, Sadio Mane has now left Liverpool. Darwin Nunez has come in. And obviously, they've had Luis Diaz coming in January as well. What can we expect from Liverpool? What are your expectations, especially with Sadio Mane out? I saw Sadio Mane as probably 
next to Salah, one of the most integral pieces to Jurgen Klopp's system. So having Darwin Nunez there now, what's the expectation? Well, I think the expectation is even greater. Liverpool, listen, the best, the best, um, Anita, the best sign Liverpool have made in recent seasons is Jurgen Klopp extending his contract. It's Klopp committing himself to that club as if they needed it. It's given the whole club a massive lift. Um, and then, of course, on top of that, I, even though I agree that Sadio Mane was probably almost as integral to Liverpool's success as Mohamed Salah, there is no doubt about it that it, 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 if fans and if Klopp, if the coaching staff had to choose between Mane and Salah, who would sign the extended deal, it would have been Salah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as, much as, as much as fans you know, would tear around and say, well, Mane is just as important and he's underrated, he's undervalued, I get all that. But the bottom line is, is that Salah, you know, Salah is the guy, Salah's the player of the year, Salah's the football of the year, and Salah is the guy that they would have wanted to sign. Nunes, they saw, I've seen Nunes quite a bit, and, and you know, obviously Liverpool saw him close hand when they played um, against Benfica, and I like him a lot. I like him an awful lot. I think he's going to be a great asset for them. And you mentioned again, you know, Luis Diaz. He made a, a really positive impact. Not as good an impact, I think, as some people suggested, you know, and, and it is easy to get carried away about players nowadays. But I think now he's had a pre-season and he's settled in. Um, he will be absolutely fine. And you saw in the Community Shield as well that, you know, Roberto Firmino hasn't gone away anywhere, don't forget. I mean, you know, he, he is there and he is still. So, so Klopp will still have that. And Diego Jota, Diego Jota, of course, has just signed a new long-term deal as well. Everything's everything's there, you know. I mean, basically, you've got Nunes in for um, Nunes in for Mane, and he still has that. The permutation is available to him to have any three from Jota, from Diaz, from Nunes, from Salah, and from Firmino. So that's that's you know, I mean, that's absolutely. I mean, and don't forget players like Harvey Elliott are coming back. Fabio Carvalho is a very very exciting prospect that they've signed from Fulham. Yeah. Um, I don't see, I don't see Liverpool not getting just a bit better to be perfectly honest with you. You know, it's, um, I, I, I think uh, even without that result in the community shield, I think they'll be going into this season um, just as buoyant as they were last season. Listen, clearly they've got to get over the disappointments of, the, of, of actually of the Champions League final and of losing, well, not losing the league because they were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were never winning it. <laughs> we're during the game you're going to, but you know but the, the, the last day disappointment of the Premier League in the Champions League but that seems to be long gone and and why wouldn't it when you've got a manager as 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 positive and as you know whose enthusiasm is as contagious as Jurgen Klopp he's a you know the fact that he's going to be there for four more years in 2026 I think is just gives the club a boost and and I expect them to push City all the way I really do I expect Nunes to score plenty of goals because they create plenty of chances don't forget Salah you know, people talk about you know I, I mean how many I think it was something like and this is totally top of the head stuff but I think it was like 13 assists last season you know you know, he, he's, he's incredible in terms of the amount of assists he can give as well so I, if I was a Liverpool fan I would be extremely extremely excited about the, the season ahead Do you know what I'm with you Andy I'm totally mm. with you on if I had to choose to pick you know Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane to kind of go forward with a new contract I would pick Mohamed Salah but mm. is there not this kind of fear so we spoke about Sterling earlier and we spoke about him being kind of that that piece to Pep Guardiola's team and it was kind of a surprise letting him go and letting, letting him kind of decide to leave to go to another Premier League club. But is there not that fear that 
Sadio Mane kind of brings that kind of sterling effect to Liverpool's squad as well. And Liverpool may miss that, especially with Nunez coming into a brand new kind of league as well. Yeah, maybe. But I, th- I think I think they were, in a way, they were almost signing Sadio Mane's replacement when they signed Diaz. You know, I really, I, I think they probably knew he was going there, Mane. Um, I think Klopp certainly, you know, knew he was going. It, it was clear before the end of the season that he was going. Um, so I actually think the sign. I, I don't think Nunes is is a replacement for Mane. I think I think Luis Diaz was the replacement who, who was signed while Mane was still there, and um, and they'll cope. You know, they, they will they will cope without him. He was a good player for them, extremely good player. But if you would have said at the start of last season we won't have Mane at the start of next season, but we will have Diaz and we will have Nunes, then I think you would have taken that all day long. One step ahead, Jurgen Klopp. Mm. One step yes. ahead. Well, one step ahead, the recruitment department to Sandwich yeah. One step ahead, if not two, if not three ahead of certain clubs. <laughs> but this, 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 the structure of Liverpool's, uh, again, just going back to that, and, you know, and, and it's hard to believe that Michael Edwards is gone. Um, because, the, because the way they do their recruitment, you know, again, it, I mean, I mean Carvalho was signed. That was all done and dusted before the end of the season, wasn't it? Yeah. Nunes was, yeah. was painless. You know, they just get go about their business and and they've signed another Scotch full. Calvin Ramsey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it'll be one for the future. <laughs> Whereas other clubs, you know, and other clubs in need it does seem a little bit, United included, you know, just like a little bit, there's not much joined up thinking. I mean, I'm sure we'll uh, we will move on to Chelsea and and and, and their um Andy, I swear to you, I can't even. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea have been in quite a dump. And obviously, for those who don't know, I am a massive Chelsea fan. Oh, we've got Peter back. I need. (laughs) Let me ask you a little bit about. I want to, because Anita obviously does a little bit. She does a lot of Chelsea content. So, guys, if you don't mind, I I will ask Anita a little bit about Chelsea. Have you signed? Have you signed Cucurella or not? What's going on there? Do you know what? Okay. Again, I do not believe any news that's not confirmed completely anymore. I do not believe it. All anyone can come out and say, oh, yeah, the, the two clubs have made an agreement until both the clubs have made a post or made a statement that this has happened. I do not believe it purely because Jules Kunde, purely because Usman Dembele, purely because Rafinha. I've been hit too many times with not false information, but misleading information. And I, I can't do it anymore. So have we signed Cucurella? Ask the board, ask the Chelsea board, ask the Brighton board, because Br- the Brighton board seems pretty convinced that it hasn't gone through. So, yeah. Right. Well, they've met what? I think two other senior signings. I mean, I, we'll talk a little bit about um, Chuck and Mika in a moment. But I wanted to ask you hmm. about about the um, the other two signings that they've met, Anita. Uh, Obviously, we've spoken a lot about Ryan Sterling, who I think I think that's a major miss from from Guardiola. I I think that uh, Sterling is one of the most underrated players in the Premier League still, and I think can't believe they've gone for under fifty million. Koulibaly, I don't know. I'm on the fence about. I think he has his moments. Um, assess it for me, Anita. Uh, how's Chelsea looking uh, after this transfer window? I'm talking about senior guys. I'm not talking about the ones for the future. <laughs> talking senior guys oh gosh do you know what I'm Amen. actually alright yeah. honestly I'm actually alright with um, our two signings I think if you'd asked me a couple of years ago 
if we'd get Koulibaly, Raheem Sterling this season for under £80 million, I would have told you you're crazy. So I cannot actually complain with the two signings we've got. You said you have a bit of doubt with um, Koulibaly, you're a bit on the fence. I'm 100% with Koulibaly. I wanted him four or five years ago, every single season. I'm just like, why are we not going in for him? Let's get Koulibaly in. And now that we've got him in, especially after losing Antonio Rudiger and losing Andreas Christensen in the same window, that is a superstar signing. And it is a shame that Levi Colwell, one of our future prospects, as you call him, may be leaving and going to Brighton. But again, we've got to, we've got to kind of look towards the present like Chelsea have always been doing. We've always played for the present. And I guess that's why we are looking at, we've looked at Koulibaly and we've looked at Raheem Sterling. And yeah, like I'm, I can't complain about our our transfer window. I don't know, Andy, Sam. Like, let me know. Am I am I being a bit too optimistic? <laughs> I just find it. I just find I, I find it fascinating. I, I, the whole um, the whole process at the moment now, because basically you've got a new owner who's come in and installed himself as you know, albeit interim director of football. Um, and you know, I, I saw some quotes from today on the new signing from Aston Villa saying that that he was going to be. He wasn't going to be loaned out, you know, which is which is great. You know, I don't think he should be. But then then he's coming into a midfield that, you know, in theory, you've got Kante, Jorginho, Kovacevic, Gallagher, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Um, who else is back at the club now after being on loan? Billy Gilmore, I guess. Um, Barkley. Barkley. I mean, he could go on and on. I, mean, I, you know what, I, genu- I genuinely forgot that Callum Hudson-Odoi was still there. I, I just... I just <laughs> and and, and it, it's, it, it's like, it's like scattergun. Add to that, Although whether or not it happens, you know, the, the the purported interest in De Jong, I find it absolutely fascinating. I find it, I just find it unstructured. It seems to be unstructured on on the on the outside. Maybe there is some structure to it, but I just I just think. But I think Sterling is a great buy. And actually, listen, I like Koulibaly as well. I know what you say about he has his moments, you know, but I guess a lot of central defenders do, yeah. you know, and their mistakes are highlighted more than anyone else over the pitch, apart from the goalkeeper. So I like the two signings. I like Sterling. I like Koulibaly. I just don't see, at the moment, any sort of joined-up thinking to the pursuit of other players. I think... Um, and, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I was just saying, and, of course, you've got the added thing of of Tuchel, you know, strangely enough, um, being seems to be under a little bit of pressure, I think. Seems yeah. to be under a little bit of pressure from last season. And doesn't seem to be as happy there as he was, obviously, as he was entitled to be after his um, his first half season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, this is an outside shot, and I don't want anybody to lose their job. But I actually think Tuchel could be among the first uh, managers to leave this season. I just have that mm-hmm. feeling the way the way the season went last year, the attitude that he's had at his previous clubs, the state of Chelsea, they're kind of in flux quite a bit. I'm not sure if he's able to get goals out of his out of those strikers, to be honest. Um, so what? I think. Bold statement, P. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, that is a very, very bold statement, right? I, I do think. Look, I do think Thomas Tuchel is under a lot of pressure, but again, like we all know here, he's in an unprecedented situation. He is running the transfers alongside the new owners and trying to piece in what what fits, what works. Trying to be a sporting director and a coach at the same time, right? Anyone's going to be frustrated with that. If I had to work two two jobs and have to deliver on both my jobs, I would be frustrated too. You know, I don't think he's um he's going to quit on Chelsea because he has a lot of 
has a lot of love with Chelsea. I do think something that's underrated in football is how much fans love and adore you. He's got the support of the fans. He'll go to Stamford Bridge against Tottenham in a couple of weeks and still have that support, still feel that support. And it will probably, the transfer window will end on the, thir- on the 1st of September. And then after that, it's just mainly focusing on the team. And he will get these players scoring. Raheem Sterling came as a goal scorer. If he leaves as someone who can't score goals anymore, then fair enough. You know, we've got to look at Thomas Tuchel then. But as for now, I just feel like we're, we're in a good place. And like you said, Andy, we have so many midfielders at the moment. And I saw Sam like nodding his head like you've got way too many right now. And bringing in Frankie de Jong, I feel like Man United need him way more than we do. Um, Andy, uh, if I could just come to you then, um, I wanted to ask a little bit about maybe outsiders. I mean, we've spoken with, with Samuel about, you know, Man United's prospects. That he thinks this is their worst season last season since they got relegated about 50 years ago, which is amazing. From the outsider's perspective, do you think a team like a Spurs, for example, or an Arsenal could jump into that top four this season? Oh, yeah. It's Spurs without a doubt. I mean, Spurs with, with, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, they are going to be... A, listen, Antonio Conte is a brilliant manager. Absolutely brilliant manager. And now he's, you know, he, he he will stamp his mark, you know, firmly on that team next season. Listen, they've signed, you know, they've signed Richarlison. I mean, and, and bear in mind that trio of um, Son, Kane and Kuvaleski were, were as good as any towards the end of last season. We're as good as any. And now you've got Richarlison, you know, 50 million pounds on Richarlison. He can have his moments with Charles. He can be a bit stroppy. Um, he can be a bit ill-disciplined. But listen, he, he, he's you know he, he's a Brazilian international. He's he's a, he's a great signer for them. Basuma is absolute you know identical Premier League midfielder that that, he, that you would want. Um, I think I think they are going to be a major force. I really do. I mean, listen, I'm not saying that they will. And, and bear in mind as well. Bear in mind that Tottenham's record um, against. Um, teams, you know, fellow big six teams, as you were, wasn't too bad last season. You know, you know, wasn't too bad at all. And of course, famously, they 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 actually beat City. Was it was it first game? I think it was first game, wasn't it last season? Um, yeah. So yes, I really do think they'll be a force to be reckoned with. Um, as for Arsenal, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I know there's quite a positive um, feeling going around there, and I do think that Jesus will, you know, if he's given the the complete faith which he will be at Arsenal, which he didn't have clearly, you know, with Guardiola, which no one has. No one has a guarantee with Guardiola. I think he will score goals. Um, I think Zinchenko's a decent signing. Who else did he sign? Um, Fabio Vieira. Yes. So I think reasons to be positive, but I still, I still watch Arsenal against the big teams. I still watch them and I think they're short there. They're they're a bit light. They're a bit, I don't know. I've seen them have a couple of decent results, but, you know, famously, now we all know that Artes has got some odd um, ways of going about things. <laughs> After he, of course, played Never Walk Alone through speakers on the training ground to get them ready for the ferocious Hanfield atmosphere. They went in there and lost 4-0. And I was at that game and they, and they were lucky to get nil, in fact, in that game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think Arteta is still learning. Um, so of those two that you mentioned, Peter, I think Spurs will be the one. If anyone is going to threaten the duopoly of Manchester City and Liverpool, it will be Tottenham and Antonio Conti, no doubt about it. 
I really look forward to seeing whether Arteta would play the liquidator, whether <laughs> when he came to Stamford Bridge or not. That would be an yeah. exciting thing to how's he, get, how's he getting ready for Palace away tomorrow night? I mean, how's he getting ready for that? Is he playing the <laughs> Eagles or something? Playing glad all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, most bizarre. I mean, I mean, I mean, really odd. I mean, really sort of like, you know, it's almost like, I don't know, it's like a sort of bizarre sort of... Um, a manager has to come up with some new ways to inspire his players or something like that. It's very really? odd. Get the cameraman yeah. to take a to do the speech or whatever. <laughs> uh, I still think he's learning. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Arteta is still he's still really young in his in his craft. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe this season he'll try again, and maybe it'll work. Who knows? Exactly. Who knows? But li- listen, Sam, coming coming to you. With Arsenal, Spurs, and Chelsea, and Man United all fighting for that top four battle. Would you say that these are your main competitors this season? Like obviously, maybe the top spot is now out of reach, second spot's out of reach. But that top four space, can you see your team rivaling for that for that last top four spot? Um, last top four spot. Because Andy's already said, you know, he's pretty certain about um, Antonio Conte and Spurs. Can Man United take that last spot? I I have my doubts at the moment just because the, the squad is you look at that squad and you just it, it screams Europa League fodder it, it doesn't even scream squad rebuild which was what was supposed to happen this summer and United fans hoped that things would change and Richard Arnold who obviously was brought to the club by Ed Woodward has, has tried to detach himself from the way Woodward operated and a lot of people at the club have spoken very effusively about him but people at the club spoke effusively about Woodward while he was there and ultimately Arnold is everyone's paymaster pretty much uh, he's he's the delegate of the Glazer family while they uh, you know stay in in Tampa and hardly ever attend games and the proof, you know, actions speak louder than words. Um, with with Arnold, there was obviously that bizarre exchange where he um, headed off some supporters who were on on their way to his to his house to to meet them at a pub in 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 Cheshire, and he was recorded saying certain things. But he was talking about how they had people out there to do the Diong deal, and that was two months ago, I think. Ultimately, the the priority targets uh, for this summer were a midfielder and, and a forward and they've they've not signed them yet two of the signings in Terrell Malassia and Lissandro Martinez they were spurred into moving forward because of competition from other clubs Christian Eriksen was was a free agent so the way they've gone about the market this summer is just all too familiar there's it's it, it I think for a lot of United supporters, just looking at how things have panned out, it's is reminiscent of some of the previous summers. I mean, the the, the Diong ordeal is um, you can draw so many parallels with Cesc Fabregas nine years ago and Woodward leaving Australia on urgent transfer business, and it, it was remarkable. Like just researching or reminding myself of the Fabregas saga that that only lasted about three or four weeks, whereas Diong has lasted um, three times well, as long. So yeah. the way it's going at the moment, I, I I don't think Arsenal will necessarily unnerve United. Um, I think Arsenal have got the makings of a good side with maybe four or five players there, but I, I still have my doubts about Arteta um, before seeing those clips of, of the new documentary on Prime. 
Um, and I just don't think that they've recruited um, in, in a way that really is, is going to unnerve and, and any of the other clubs. T- Tottenham have signed a couple of journeymen there who people aren't too fussed by, but the two main ones are Bissouma and Richarlison. Richarlison has, you know, has has done very well, quite well in the Premier League, operating at a lower level. Maybe he will get found out at a higher level, but maybe he'll thrive at that level under Tottenham. I mean, Conte is such a demanding coach but there are very few players who don't improve when he's he's got them in and when I say he's got them in they are his signings he's he's made that very clear about Jed Spence that that's a signing made by the club rather than the manager but pretty but by and large he has got his way and they made some very good additions in in January when he demanded Kulusevski and, and Benzikur, and those two have been absolutely integral to Tottenham, or sorry, were integral to Tottenham getting into the top four. I, I suppose, unfortunately for the league, I, I just don't see an upstart outside the top six breaking into it. Newcastle have underwhelmed with their business this summer and have probably had a reality check that although they've got all this money, they are still having to operate at quite a low level in the market and they're not maybe getting the profile of players they wanted. They they had a very good January by and large, but they had to do business in January. Otherwise, they were probably going to get relegated. Uh, Leicester could could lose James Madison. I think Leicester are always in this conversation this time of year. Of, you know, can they stay in the top six or get back into the top yeah. six? There have been a couple of seasons recently where they should have qualified for the Champions League under Brendan Rodgers, but they just collapsed at the end, which unfortunately for Rodgers, it's become a, a bit of a theme of his management career, even though he's had a, a brilliant coaching career and I think it's easy to forget that he was probably the front runner to replace Solskjaer at one point last season, mm-hmm. maybe in October, November time. But then Leicester, unfortunately for him, had probably their weakest season under his under his management. But I, I just don't see a team that are going to break into that top six. And the, the best, you know, just going back to last season, West Ham had one of their best seasons in in years and years and years. And United had one of their worst seasons in decades. And United still oh, you know, relatively comfortably finish, finished above them. Um, yeah. I know it was you know, touch and go on the final day, but... I don't think anyone at United really expected West Ham to to do the business at Brighton and United true to form lost at Crystal Palace and it was just you know it was a bit of a stalemate between the two clubs but United were the ones who still finished sixth. Listen there's so much to unpack this season. The season starts this weekend and it's just, it's just I predict a lot of drama before the transfer window actually closes. We don't know what's going to happen with Cristiano Ronaldo, we don't know what's going to happen with Frankie De Jong, we don't know what's going to happen maybe Newcastle they get their business done towards the latter stages of the window. Chelsea as well, hopefully they get themselves sorted out. There's just so many unanswered questions left and this is why we're here every week me and Pete. Every week we're going to be here trying to unpack the weekly, I want to say weekly dramas <laughs> in football. But Andy and Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, make sure if you're watching, you you let us know some of your opinions as well. Who do you think will finish in the top six? How do you think the season will end? Or what are your predictions this weekend? We want to know. So just keep an eye out on socials and make sure you get involved. But for now, good afternoon, good night, good evening, wherever you're watching, whatever time you're watching. We'll see you later.